welcome one and all across the Alpha Quadrant and beyond to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. I like having a mystique. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, Mugato Gumato, comes to you now via phaser-sensitive genitalia. Pete, uh, we are about to uh, reflect on this episode, but we have to look ahead to this Wednesday, this upcoming Wednesday, September 8th, Star Trek Day, uh, when there will be all the panels, uh, longer and shorter, but all the panels, uh, hours and hours of Star Trek discussion there on StarTrek.com and the Paramount Plus app for those, uh, you know, joining via the app. And um, we are really looking forward, I think, to a number of those panels. Uh, highly anticipating Discovery Season 4 um, release date, maybe a Discovery Season 5 renewal announcement, um, and things of that sort. We'll be podcasting it the next day. Pete, one bit of news has already gotten out probably early, and probably somebody got yelled at by Paramount Plus PR when this news slipped out the last few days. Yes, of course, you're referring to Annie Wershing, uh, X of Marvel's The Runaways, also available in podcast form by Fantastic Geek, The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, all three seasons. But Annie Wershing is going to play, she's going to recur as the Borg Queen on Star Trek Picard. Uh, would bet it's a season ender because apparently they're about to start filming season three if they haven't already the still unconfirmed season three so probably some official confirmation for the first time about that coming on star trek day but it just feels so long since we've had and and this being a franchise that has two days during the year not just star trek day september 8th this the 55th anniversary of the original series beginning, but also uh, First Contact Day in April. It is stunning to think that when there was the 50th anniversary, Star Trek was in a it was in a different place. I believe that was the year that um, that uh, Star Trek Beyond came out. It came out in July, but kind of Star Trek Day itself, the 50th anniversary kind of coming and going uh here we are but five years later with all these series being made and being in production and and i think it's going to be the best star trek day yet program complete enter when ready boys and rutherford getting ready for some anbo jitsu and mariners invited herself along what she doesn't know is the boys have been training on the holodeck at night but she's ready to play at full power and promptly demolishes them. Meanwhile, on a forest planet, two Denoblians are on the run from a Mugato. We learn they're on Frylon 4, and the Cerritos is headed there for an animal control op. The mission, find the Mugato. Boims and Rutherford are playing what looks to be the world's worst board game, where boring compromises in business leaves no one happy. But that's how you win the game. Honus the barkeep has heard Mariner's not a loser. She's Starfleet Black Ops, a killing machine. The boys laugh it off, 
but the captain's daughter, friend with the softies, the perfect cover. But that's not the Starfleet way, except for all those times it was. Later, the two are noting the different pronunciations for Magato. It's a TOS inside joke, since DeForest Kelly couldn't say Gamato. Rutherford has found information about Mariner's shady past on the USS Atlantis, but the three are part of the Shack's team beaming down to get the Mugatus, and they immediately find Gamato Guano. Shaxx tastes it. Multiple times. The Starfleet crew finds it's not just one Mugito, it's a Ferengi zoo slash harvest ground. Shaxx attacks, and in the fight, all the Mugatu cages open. In the chaos, Boimler and Rutherford see, gasp, Mariner stab Shaxx and bite him? The boys run and are rescued by Patingi, an expert on Mugatos. Well, expert enough to have read some books. Patingi is quickly eaten. Boimler and Rutherford then stumble into a unique scene in Star Trek history. Two Mugatos, well, start to, you know, together. A third Mugato comes and he kind of, you know, solo. It's quite a thing. Later, the Mugatus sleep, and the boys escape. They run into Mariner, who's caught in a Mugato trap. They know she's a killer. She explains she didn't eat Shaxx. She stabbed his Mugato sting wound and sucked out the poison. As for the Atlantis, it was Kerplixian lice. Of course that was kept off the books. Why all the lies? She started the Black Ops theory herself to keep people at a distance, so she didn't have to make friends. The Frangie arrive, and Mariner's taken while the boys hide. It's up to Boimler and Rutherford to save the day. They sneak about the Frangie camp, making, making a hollow projector that gives a cost-benefit analysis of how to improve the Mugato operation with live creatures in a conservation preserve complete with ancillary merchandising. Mariner notes, it's the power of math, people. It's not a great solution, but it's a compromise. Back on the Cerritos, one alien, Mr. Hyde, escapes Frylon 4 and his small dinghy ship. The Cerritos hails him, and he's beamed off, only to see his ship destroyed, despite the Cerritos capturing it with a lowest tracker factor. Captain Freeman offers up a Cerritos shuttle in exchange, but Hyde also wants her ready room trinkets. Meanwhile, Tendi's uh, squarely back in the B-plot this week. Dr. Tana wants Tendi to give biometric scans to all the people who are dodging their physicals. One ducks into a bar to flirt, and Tendi scans him in about two seconds. Montage for scanning Jet in martial arts, and Chief Lars at the holodeck. Who's left? Patient 08.019. Tendi can't find any info, and Tana seems unworried. And the good doctor goes back to her office, room 08.019. Gasp. The doctor is the doctor and won't see the doctor. Tendi fights to do the scan, chasing Tana around the ship. In the Jeffries tubes, Tendi breaks her arm, bones sticking out, and Tana tends to her, but not before Tendi scans her. The crew is back all aboard, and Tana is making sure that Shax is healed for later tonight. Wink! Freeman checks in with Admiral Mariner, and Hubby tips her off to a scam being run by a junk ship captain that steals shuttles and trinkets. Freeman quickly nabs him and sends him to Frylon 4 to shovel Gamato Guano. Mariner, Rutherford, and Boimler play a board game, but she steps away to spread the rumor that the boys are the Mugatu twins, who took down a dozen of the beasts and got strange powers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. With that red alert, we have our incoming threat analysis. Pete, 
how threatening is Mariner? You know, they've danced around this through the first season and a half, and it was nice that they've had an episode now to directly confront this. This after uh, Mariner stages a, you know, DEFCON 4 uh, Ambujitsu beatdown in the teaser, and then they continue this idea on with the uh you know bartender character spinning these yarns and of course it all comes back to mariner anyway i don't think this storyline's done though there's so much that's murky in her background and this is rife for both mystery and comedy as i say (laughs) I, I hope not week after week on this podcast, but as I've often said, so much in Lower Decks plays both ways simultaneously. Um, it's it's dramatic and real-world Star Trek and also you know having silly animation moments and so forth. Uh, I think that's what we get from Mariner here. I, I, I lean towards the emotionality of her saying, no, it's just a front because she has difficulty interacting with people and, you know, maybe... One can infer as a, uh, you know, as a military brat growing up, you know, ship to ship and whatnot. She's just used to not making and keeping friends. Um, so that's kind of like that's where I lean towards it. However, if in the next couple episodes um, we do, as you're suggesting, Pete, if we get more of her having this highly trained background, there's enough question marks to go. So wait, how old is she? How long has she been serving? Fine. She goes up and down on the rank thing all the time so she's not a ensign the way other people fresh out of the academy are um but it's kind of like at what point are there enough question marks where you go this is not a joke there's there's a larger story here yeah and you know the the trope of starfleet black ops section 31 and that boimler and rutherford can cite chapter and verse of well except for the time that uh tuvok did this and with the Maquis, and this, and that, that they're as aware of these instances as we are, except for the people that aren't aware, you know, and Philippa Giorgio, and everything else. So, you know, it's, obviously, it's a retcon to what had happened prior to uh, Section 31, and this idea that there are spy organizations in military organizations. Um, But you know, we've never had the humor with it until this series. Pete, we add to the list of threats. Uh, I think reluctantly we add to the list. The uh, the Mugatos, you know, they're just trying to do their thing. And boy, we saw some things. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, they are only threatening us because we, the humanoids, have threatened them. Again, uh, a tried and true Star Trek trope and that's why this works in terms of uh an endangered species something that there's a lot of mystique surrounding and then you throw in all the pronunciation gaffes in terms of the way that that works and this was just rife for parody and oh my god did they take it to a place we never ever thought star trek would go and it was hilarious and i'm here for it I must confess, I mean, I'm, I know I've seen A Private Little War, the TOS episode. I'm, I'm surely I've seen it 
bunches and bunches of times. Um, I know that uh, in an interview with Trek Corps, uh, Mike McMahon noted, uh, let's see, watching A Private Little War again, uh, we were digging into digging into it in a new way and how, let's see, what's the quote here? Nobody decided on a consistent way for the actors to pronounce Mugato. Um, let's see, they didn't go back and reshoot things, maybe because the actors were getting prickly and so forth. But just this idea... A, I now have a new old TOS episode to go back and watch or, you know, watch it with new eyes and watch for these mispronunciations. Mm-hmm. But it is this iconic monster from the show. And to go back and, you know, kind of get more people just we'll pause that one scene for a second in our discussion. But just to get the Mugato not as a stuntman in a hot suit out there on location, but instead you can animate it as what we kind of always thought it was in terms of the the ape like the lizard like actions and whatnot um great use there yeah and uh to to dive deep into it in this episode the endangered nature i mean the minute we see them and they're being tormented by ferengi with whips uh to understand that and you know they just want to wander the the space jungle um and love one another and watch some loving each other um pete was a threat to this episode how that would be shown i mean surely there must have been discussions there must have been a very locked in conversation (laughs) um you know like in 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 the pre-production process okay certain camera and you know quote-unquote camera angles are approved and what is shown in frame and what isn't surely they must have said and this particular action can appear on screen for you know 15 frames 20 frames like it must have been down to a frame count just in order to walk the line where well to walk a line where you know worst case scenario it's not the south part south park freak out of late 90s early 2000s and you know ban the t-shirts and it's national news and all that like you don't want it to go quite that far but surely there must have been a really serious discussion about some of the silliness in this episode on a streamer i i just don't know um it would be different if it was a situation where star trek was over the air um but as we had this discussion off mic i said to matt the, the template was established, as you just mentioned, by South Park and then sent him the clip of Eric Cartman and a dog from 2001. I didn't realize it was from that long ago um, that pretty much established how far they were allowed to take this. <laughs> um, regardless, I don't think either uh, you nor I were offended by what we saw, but certainly... <laughs> I would, is this the most shocking uh, sexual content in a Star Trek episode? Um, to my eyes, it might be. Love is love, Matt. <laughs> uh, Pete, love is a right, healthcare is a right. In this episode, the threat of, I guess, the crew or some crew members meeting their minimal obligations to get a, uh, to get a, <laughs> A physical by way of a two-second scan um, that is a threat to those who are dodging it. In an era, Matt, and I speak of now, 
when people decry socialism because uh, they don't understand a word yet want things for existing, um, the idea of universal health care, um, people being healthy, their health maintained, um, here to push back on that in a Star Trek episode that there are people that are dodging their physicals. We've seen this back to the original series where Kirk was constantly too busy or just didn't have the time. And then McCoy was too busy because he's the chief medical officer to, to run his physical. And, oh, my God, he's dying of whatever death syndrome uh, that there's no cure for, that there's a cure by the end of the episode. Uh, my only complaint with this idea is that they backed into two Dr. Ta'ana episodes in a row. Now, don't get me wrong. I want all the Dr. Tana I can get, but that they've leaned a little too heavily into the, the Cation cat stuff. Okay. Last episode it was all right. You know, wants to play in a box, doesn't want the, you know, libido post. And then this episode, you know, running away as a cat in the Jeffrey's tubes. Uh, I think that's a fair criticism. It makes me wonder maybe um, has this episode been released in an order different than, than intended. Uh, that's, and that's not a to fair point. You know, it's not to portend any trouble ahead, but like clearly last week's episode dealing with the return of shacks and whatnot, that kind of, I think was logically the third episode, like, you know, but again, you might sit and go, Hey, we needed to re-record the dialogue for episode 206. Uh, or hey, there was more animation to it. We didn't like, you know, whatever. We had to delay an episode. Um, so what do you do? This one's good to go. You move it up. Oh, the worst thing in the world in finding that as a solution is you got two cat-related C plots. Okay. Like that's, you know, that's if that's part of the solution, there's worse things, certainly. Ferengi poachers human. Yeah, nice to have that. I mean, Mariner calls it out the last outpost style of Ferengi. Um, uh, it works in a bunch of levels, as once again, Lower Deck so oftentimes does. We kind of get to have that season one TNG style Ferengi, and we get to have the energy whips and kind of all of those things that are, you know, iconic and bad, but badly iconic and wonderfully iconic and all of that. Uh, also, it's a reminder, you know, not all Ferengi are the same. Not all of them are in that quirk, um, that quirk businessman as businessman style and, you know, running the illegal bar stuff on the side, too. But, you know, it's kind of that pure capitalism. Here they are kind of, you know, running this poaching operation. Capitalist, to be sure. But, you know, I... They're great as a baddie, and frankly, I love that the solution is a, here's how to, you know, it's a cost-benefit analysis is what it says. That, that's the solution. <laughs> Run your business better. You're not necessarily, at least in the Star Trek telling, I mean, yes, the the Star Trek ideal, the Federation ideal is no capitalism and no money and so on and so forth. However, what's kind of subset number two for the Star Trek ideal? Live your life how you want to live it. And that might not be the way I think you want to live it. And here's a better way. Here's a cleaner way. Here's a more safe way to run your animal operation, not through poaching, but through conservation. It's 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 a Star Trek moment. 
this being the first episode of the second season that hasn't mentioned the pack led as a threat and the Ferengi, I think on a very similar path. And it'd be interesting if we could talk to the writing room. Was there ever any thought let's make the Ferengi the threat instead of the pack lid, um, the path, that the Ferengi were on very early on with the next generation, hence the, the last outpost, uh, you know, um, call out in this episode, but turned into the joke that they largely remain and an effective one at that within quote unquote, serious Star Trek, uh, you know, and, and the fun that we have with Quark and the other Ferengi, particularly in Deep Space Nine. Um, but to get this other side here, to, to get, you know, the, the, the merciless whip-wielding uh, Ferengi that, you know, it was hard to not laugh at and actually feel threatened by in the next generation, particularly early on. And I think it works here for a variety of reasons, including um, the way things are written. It's not that we are, it's not that we are greatly increasing the threat of the Ferengi. It's just, it's a planet that already has the, you know, space static. So beaming down and communication will be an issue. And then they further have a signal uh, dampener. You know, like, there's clearly been a concerted, although quiet story effort to kind of say, normally Ferengi operating with whips and no visible, you know, attack ship in space and so forth. Normally the Federation would roll right over them, but they have these couple things to their advantage, add to it the accidental release of all the, uh, uh, of all the Mugatos. And thus you have a story. Pete also on this list of threats, especially when we talk about, I guess, quasi capitalistic rascals or thieves, uh, is the uh, the creature known as Mr. Hyde. That he's hanging out with the Ferengi. Of course, he bails on them. Uh, it seems as if the Federation done him wrong, and then it turns out, of course, you know, this was all a phishing scam. Uh, again, it's something that could play in uh, all of Star Trek. Yeah, it feels like a very um, TOS, TNG subplot here. Um, I don't know. It kind of, it is what it is. I like that he's just out there a scamming. And I like that, I like that for Freeman, there's no lasting impact. You know, quickly they, quickly they wrestle him on back and do the reset. And uh, Pete, he's well punished uh, shoveling the Mugatu poo. <laughs> Surely a fate worse than death. And then lastly, Matt, that brings us to patient 08.019. Yeah, it's a fun bit of story business that the doctor shall not submit to doctor tests. Uh, and, and as you said, it's also been explored in Star Trek before. Um, I think, too, perhaps it's evidence that they want to be giving interesting story um story points to uh that secondary i know she's not technically a bridge officer but you know the 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 command crew getting getting some story love there um i think it's also i mean i, I don't know to what degree they're like ooh, it's 
doctors and nurses denying the science. I, I don't know that that's baked into the Ta'ana sub subplot, um, but I think it's there for the it, it's there for the uh, the reference made if uh, if one wants to go find it. No new idea that doctors make the worst patients and to have Dr. Tana acknowledge, oh, that was quick. I don't know why I put that off. You know, the, the whole point of it there. And thank goodness she's not sick. All right, Pete, as we set our sensors to theory mode. So you've already kind of prognosticated that we're going to get more Mariner backstory. Um, it does feel, you know, we're not quite at the halfway point of the season, but we're kind of we're in the middle third here. It does feel like if there's going to be some some thrust for the rest of the season, maybe that starts next week in an episode entitled, oh, wait, they haven't announced the title yet because they're doing a very good job keeping things kind of intriguing. Yeah, it's if only there was one of two days on the calendar every year for them to make some sort of announcement prior to. Uh, oh, no, wait. Well, no, we will not have the episode prior to uh, Star Trek Day. So there you go. We'll get it the next day. But still, I guess if there's going if there's juicy news for the second half of the season. Uh, Star Trek Day could be the place to announce it, you know, like and there's going to be. I don't know, whatever. Uh, Michael Doran returns as Worf, uh, you know, or, or whatever it is, we could get some sense of... Last year it was Q. Yeah. Um, now, I know that season three of Lower Decks has already been formally, officially announced. Uh, that was They're all the way back in, in April. They could, however, dust that off or... Here's our first announcements for season three. Like, they could kind of treat it like it's new. However, it's kind of been... Um, I don't know, just the fact that there's more coming has been announced to sit and go. And next season, you know, this person joins the cast or whatever it might be, um, whether it's a voice actor, whether it's a character, um, maybe we can look forward to that as well. Yeah. And uh, to think here within the idea of what it is they're doing, telling the story. Okay. You know, will we return to this idea that, uh, Mariner, Shady Past, uh, Starfleet sometimes does some things behind the scenes. I mean, the Section 31 series, pilot written almost to the point where they were casting, using some of the similar ideas and tropes here. We'll have to see. Pete, what are the theories do you have in your mind as we look ahead into the future for the USS Cerritos? I mean, it could only work as a gag, right? The Ambu Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was goofy. It was goofy when it was introduced uh, back in TNG. I mean, yes, it was a uh, a perfectly fine uh, story point for Riker and his father to, you know, physically fight, mirroring their emotional state and so forth. But there's always been a goofiness there. Matt, are you trying to say that uh, Tron? esque motorcycle pad blindfold helmet uh holodeck style athletic pursuits are goofy it it's just and look i get 
again in in that tng episode um i get that it's probably not on screen more than five or six minutes and i and again it's meant to be a physical manifestation of the or it's a place where they can physically manifest the, the conflict between Riker and his father. It's just got one extra bit of craziness. That, like, is it is is it the the futuristic samurai outfit that's too much? No. Is it the sightlessness? Nah. It's a weird Star Trek future. Is it the light sticks that are also attack stick? Like, there's just one little extra bit there that's a little bit too much. Too much in a good way, but I mean enough that that's the joke. It is kind of so. It's not you know Picard fencing or go on the phaser range. It's it's sightless samurai laser beep beat sticks. (laughs) I guess laser tag would have been a little passe at that point. The Denoblians, Matt, at the beginning of the episode, who puff their faces out. Uh, presumably to scare away the Mugatos. Um, did they buy it? Um, maybe they did. I guess I hadn't stopped to think of it in that regard. I mean, we don't, we neither see or, see nor hear from them again. Um, I guess ultimately the story response is they're there just to help sell the threat and to be a callback to the Denoblian species. They're not ultimately important enough. Like, you know, are they on the other side of the planet? And this is the planet of the Mugatus. Um, and they're on the other corner from where the Ferengi are doing bad things. I mean, that's probably the implied answer. But, um, yeah, if I think back to uh, what was his name, the scientist that wasn't a scientist uh tigley what was his name um patingi patingi yeah i mean if patingi bought it then certainly the certainly the denoblians may well have well let's talk about patingi here this renowned biologist who has five books on mugos (laughs) um i think (laughs) The second most shocking thing in this episode was <laughs> how quickly he bought it. I mean, the character design is fun. I think that's Paul F. Tompkins that's doing the voice. Um, so, I mean, not that like, not that it must be an important character if you're going to give a more famous person versus a less famous person. Side note, Pete, did you know that uh, Tom Kinney, the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, is one of the frequent guest stars doing? A variety of the smaller roles like he, he's part of the he's part of the recurring voice cast of this show yeah i mean listen the guy's got ability why wouldn't <laughs> you want somebody like that in a stable of you know recurring performers um but uh yeah i think to to, to have patingi there as you know, again, is it there for a gag? Is it there for a Star Trek commentary? Is it both? I'm not quite sure that I can go with one or the other or both, but here he is, the faux learned man who read some books once and then buys it from his own haughtiness. I mean, I guess, Pete, if there's a lesson, the lesson is make sure you are very informed uh, about your decisions. Patingi rules. Uh, the thing with the the Black Ops trope and uh mariner i look forward to when this series is all said and done 
that we'll be able to go back and look at the resume of Beckett Mariner and note all these ships and places that she served. And we fill in again here with the Atlantis on which half of the crew disappeared and the ship was lost, turns out because of space lice. And once again, here I am risking repeating myself. Once again, it's it's something that is existing in that lower decks in between space. You know, if they can space scan a ship um, to get out the 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 warp particles, a la the uh, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. The Picard diehard on the starship. Is that Starship Mine? Is that the episode? Yes. The name of it? Okay, so like if they can space scan away the space warp particles which also will kill all living things they can't do that for space lice i mean that's where you're saying well but but according to canon um fine the story also just wants it to be that the ship was lost if we take it at mariner's um statement could it just be that uh, this is all too gross or whatever the the carlaxian lice don't get scanned away you know whatever it is fine you can come up with story reasons it plays as a joke. It plays as, no, 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 Mariner is nice. Now, that said, if nonetheless the show is setting up, the show which can go serious, right? We saw that certainly at the end of last season. If you're setting up some sort of usual suspects reveal that we're meant to chew over this theory and go, oh, no, she's nice. And it's it's the space lice thing is a joke. Um, but we're going to have a usual suspects moment where, no, no, no. Uh, Commander Beckett Mariner goes undercover as a schlub and then occasionally gets pulled out of the the the, the faux ensign role that she plays to go, you know, be the James Bond of Section 31 or of Starfleet Black Ops or whatever. That's possible, too. And that would be a fun, frankly, that would be a fun season finale. And maybe it's, well, now Commander Mariner, uh, Commander Beckett Mariner is now leaving the ship for whatever reason. What is your pronunciation for the endangered species in this episode? Uh, I say Mugato. And uh, you say Mugato. I say Gamato. How about that Gamato fresh, tangy dung that Shax eats at least twice? <laughs> um, let me put it this way, Pete. I'm reminded of the audio commentary track for the second Austin Powers movie where they discuss in the commentary track how much discussion they had in figuring out in the scene where Austin Powers drinks the poopy water thinking it's coffee or tea uh do they show him actually drinking like this was you know this was all a big discussion here um I was thinking of that in this episode where I believe certainly the second time he tastes it and maybe the first time as well you don't actually see poo in the mouth you just see you see the finger headed towards then you know certainly the second time it's this great cut to mariner and it's this very animated wide you know eyes wide open kind of reaction um i don't know why one would do that but i guess that you know shacks as a uh as a bajoran maybe somebody who grew up with less technology and obviously more of a spiritual side more of a connection to nature i guess this is just what one does and i guess better shacks than better shacks than me tasting the mugatu poo there is that coffee that's actually um only made after 
some animal in Africa consumes the beans and then poops them out that uh, only Oprah can afford. So maybe that's how Rack the Geno's made. Who knows? Um, on those uh, Mugatos, Matt, are they horns or are they tusks? Uh, I mean, is there a difference between a horn and a tusk? Different. I don't know. I'm going to search that right now. <laughs> difference? I mean, the... we've never seen what was done with one of them by one of those species before, so who knows? Is it right. something else? Pete, according to the first search, uh, the first return search on Google, tusks are made out of enamel, horns are made out of bone and keratin. Pete, I would say that the way we saw the feature treated in this episode, it is definitely being treated like a bone. <laughs> I have no response to that. Um, incongruous, Matt, within this episode is that it suddenly started raining as soon as the Mugato stampede happened. Did I miss something? Um, I think I think that you did not miss something. I, I think instead you saw some great atmospheric uh animation there to up the ante emotionally and the chaos of the scene and all that um i mean straight out of jurassic park it only rains when the uh you know when when the uh, t-rex starts to get loose was james kirk really attacked by a mugato or did something else happen um i think that Kirk probably draws a line at humanoids and thus the attack was just an attack. Uh, I think he's probably down to clown with just about anybody who he can have a conversation with. And I don't think Mugatu's reach that, um, reach that definition. Uh, also there might be some logistical and health questions. And I think the, the Kirk, Though he dodges uh, his physicals, Kirk is somebody who's concerned about uh, keeping the physique, if only so he can uh, he can uh, bed the ladies, etc. We've had Shax back for a couple episodes now, but uh, Dr. Ta'ana making, again, reference that there might be more going on between them. Um, yeah, and I kind of like that. I like it as a... I mean, it's not quite fan casting it's not quite shipping i mean because the show is putting it out there but um i don't know we've heard a little bit we've gotten a little sense of uh where the cation species may different uh, differ from uh from humanoids and though we don't know a whole lot about um uh about bajorans now they may differ in 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 that department uh Seems like they're they're, Pete. They're emotionally compatible, and if we learned anything from the marriage of Worf and Dax, you know, when it comes to interspecies loving, you make it work. And then, lastly, the name of the Ferengi running the Mugatu, uh, you know, poaching operation turned uh, preservation uh, preserve. I think also in keeping with this episode. Yes. Uh, the Ferengi's name is spelled K Y N K. So I guess that's kink. And, um, uh, 
again, I don't know. I don't know to what degree, like, to what uh, look. Obviously, Alex Kurtzman and the the secret hideout, you know, executive producers have have a role in all these shows. I don't know to what degree uh, the writer of this episode, uh, Ben Rogers, you know, he turns in a draft and it cracks everybody up. As you do a, a writing staff read aloud, let's say, uh, probably on a Zoom, right? Because this is still COVID era stuff that they're producing this. But you know, to what degree they crack it up, and and as as uh, you know, laughing tears are wiped away. The note is given. Um, we're not going to call. We're not going to say that he's kink. Maybe we could work it into a banner towards the end. But we're we're already getting away with some stuff. We're already trying to get away with some stuff and so forth. But Pete, uh, this is definitely. Uh, the the episode we can unambiguously say this is a Star Trek episode with the most kink that we've ever seen. With that, let's head to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. We take a look at our Twitter poll, uh, which Pete again I've officially formalized uh, for those uh, Star Trek haters out there. I'm not doing a four three two one vote here it's it's all kind of uh qualified not quantified so the choices were uh what a magem what a magemento i was making some of them up uh dice emoji that got five percent set phaser to magento uh got 15 percent great gamato uh omg emoji got 40 percent and then pete the one i'm most proud of also got 40 percent do i make you magato winky um some responses here on the Twitter. We heard from JT Atkins. That JTA is me. Uh, no loud, sour grapes, but I'll admit this one wasn't my favorite. Please don't send an angry Mugato or a Black Ops Lower Decker after me. However, loved, loved the LOTR. Pete, that is Lord of the Rings, which is a book series turned animated duology turned uh, three-part movie series um, turned excessive Hobbit thing. Um, but anyhow, back to JT Atkins. Love the LOTR hiding under the tree roots from the Ring Wraith reference. Sniff, sniff. JT, I want you to know, Pete did not get that reference. But the first time I saw that episode, I was like, yes, they're doing the the road and the... Uh, JT, we are, we are one mind here, even though Pete doesn't know what we're talking about. Pete, would you like to now talk about how you don't like Lord of the Rings because... George Lucas ripped it off for Star Wars, but but you <laughs> has, reject has nothing to do with it. You uh, reject anything yeah. other than Lucas as as uh, the the I don't know the the progenitor of everything. Wow, uh, because no uh, property, no story ever um, had people hide in roots from other people. Uh, JT, you can see how angry Pete is that George <laughs> Lucas ripped off elements of the lord of the rings but i digress pete we heard from spider ham lincoln that's tess lc 139 honus this ep this mugato ep was crazy good probably my favorite lower decks episode ever it was hilarious nostalgic and just so fun even with those last outpost ferengi uh author uh, the author peter david wrote a mugato starfleet officer into his new frontier series of books which i highly recommend uh pete i'm a huge peter david tng era novel guy uh the best um the best star trek movie ever written was uh peter david's book which i realize is not a movie but uh which was uh q squared which should have just been turned into a movie it was fantastic um but uh yeah peter david bringing some mugatu love there 
We heard also from James the Sagacious. That's at Big Kiln on Twitter. For me, this was the best written episode. The notion that uh, so much in the Star Trek universe is covered up and swept under the rug makes it more believable that we could actually grow into this society. Starfleet falling for a phishing scam was priceless. And Pete, he, of course, spells phishing with a PH, as, <laughs> as I believe one normally does, but he yes. capitalized it. Uh, we also heard from AMC, that's Ann Coltonham. Really loved this week's Star Trek Lower Decks. Rutherford and Boimler getting into so much trouble thinking Mariner is Section 31. It's just fabulous. Looking forward to hearing the podcast. Uh, heard from What Of It, that's at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. I know this show is really for kids, but my goodness, I was just kind of blushing. Uh, but a fun episode nonetheless. Love that the show just kind of does what it wants in the general framework. Uh, James Sagacious notes the mating scene definitely pushed the boundary. Pete, is this a show for, I don't mean this episode, is Star Trek Lower Decks intended for a child audience? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more that, you know, that Rick and Morty. Yes. Um, I'd even say, I mean, Simpsons era. I mean, you know, Simpsons is not for five-year-olds. Sim yeah, but they're clearly, they are in between rick and morty and the simpsons they're inhabiting that space they don't go as far as a south park and again allowing that to show them where the boundary where the line may be crossed or you stay on the other side of it um but yeah th this is definitely not for children i believe uh star trek has a uh nickelodeon show coming matt <laughs> yeah and i think that's you know we're gonna get this doubtlessly repeated on star trek day but just the notion that with prodigy arriving they'll have truly child and child uh oriented animation they'll have kind of let's say teen and adult uh oriented animation with lower decks they have the full-on nostalgia show in strange new worlds they have the new cutting edge you know game of thrones novel for tv in discovery they have uh, the more mature Picard that's reflecting and contemplating and so forth. So it really is something for everybody. Um, yeah, I think, you know, this is an episode that's rated TV PG. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying like, therefore no 13 year olds allowed, but I think TV PG uh, or TV 14, I think is, is the proper term. I think TV 14 is an accurate rating. Like you see that 14 go up along with, you know, uh, what it you know sexuality or something like that it shows up yeah. on the screen you sit and go okay let me reassess this particular episode for my kindergartner you know you have a 13 year old kid you sit and go okay there there give me some fair warning here i can make you my have a 13 year old kindergartner <laughs> pete i'm imagining the variety <laughs> of people watching um the <laughs> the last 13 year old kindergartners definitely should not watch this episode how about that we could i think we can all I agree think on this that. is squarely in the realm of a 13 year old kindergartners viewing habits <laughs> um last tweet here from jackie wolf uh that's at jackie wolf set phasers to fun love this episode the diplomatic game that rutherford and boimler played reminded me of the time the data learned to play for a draw in order to win one lingering question, now that Shax is back, what is Kayshawn's role? Pete, we saw Kayshawn in the medical montage. Uh, I will leave that to you, Pete. Uh, Jackie, who, by the way, in uh, in her Twitter picture there is in a Starfleet uniform. I don't see any rank on there. Maybe she's Black Ops. <laughs> but, Pete, she's an officer. You're an officer. Can you give her an answer? 
what's Kayshawn's I, I asked role? the question last week. We had Shaq's back, yet uh, Kayshawn is on the bridge as the assuming security chief. I, I don't know. We we need a story. We need a, you know, is technically Kayshawn been pushed to the lower decks? Is he now security personnel? Uh, we, we need this episode. We've seen before, um, let's say with the Mariner mystery season one, how they don't always do story service week after week to the thing that we're wondering about. But it's not that everything is a throwaway. It's not, you know, where did Lieutenant Kyle go? Oh, he's not in the next five episodes because it's the 1960s. No one cares about continuity and things like that. Are we the setting up... There you go. Are we setting up? an episode to resolve this. I mean, it's a very fair question. We had the introduction. We had the return. Are we setting that up in the next couple of weeks? The show to this point has answered the questions that it's posed. So I can only imagine that that's coming. Well, Pete, this podcast episode and indeed all of them made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, making sure that we can continue to trek ahead to hopefully answer some of these questions. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. It takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that shh door. Shh. And uh, can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds. Leave us a review. It takes a little longer. We especially need it on this brand spanking new Lower Decks podcast by Fantastic Geek Feed. That support always appreciated, knowing that we are listener-supported. Pete, we have a lot of Star Trek to talk about in the next week, what with uh, Star Trek Day on the 8th and then podcasting uh, Lower Decks 205 on the 12th. So how can people be in touch with you to talk Trek? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,081 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me touch the podcast comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek. All one word with the P and the H like it today. So whether you are listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed or the Lower Decks feed, uh, we will be talking more Star Trek uh, almost shortly on September 9th uh, in the basking in the post Mugato glow of star trek day on the 8th wow. uh, uh and then of course on that pop i'm culture just gonna pod- watch <laughs> you go. uh and of course on the pop culture podcast feed we'll be uh talking uh what if episode 105 uh, as the week concludes as well so got our marvel got our star trek got our more star trek this week with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word Give me 20 cc's of space, all right? She never fails to take my breath away. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?